Happy New Year, BU Podcast Community. This is Jill Herman, your host. And if you are listening for the very first time, huge warm welcome to BU Podcast. We are so, so happy you're here with us. We are excited that you're here with us. And it's no accident that you're here with us. If you're one of our longtime and regular listeners, we are really, really grateful and excited to enter another calendar year with you. So BU Podcast, if you did not know this already, we would be proud of this and excited if we had nothing on paper to brag about, but we do. So we're going to toot our own horn and tell you that this podcast by month five with the host, myself, having a teeny tiny Instagram connection list slash following and no advertising, no marketing, no community of people going into this, no book having been written, nothing, nada on its own after four months. So in month five, hit iTunes top 100 out of 2 million podcasts in the most competitive category called entrepreneurship. That is the largest and most competitive category. It's the category that most podcasters, especially new podcasters, intentionally stay out of. We got into that by accident, actually. We were placed in there by mistake. There are no mistakes. And by month five, we found out that we were top 100 on iTunes. Shortly after that, we made top 100 in other countries. We switched to a different category of spirituality and quickly made top 100, top 50. In Ireland, we made top 10. And this happened in multiple countries. And I say that to tell you that this is a great podcast to download, to subscribe to, and to keep on your list of podcasts to listen to in 2023. Because if you thought it was good before, it's getting even better because I'm growing right along with you. And as we grow, remember everything we touch elevates as well. So I'm attracting guests that are pushing me to my edges and expanding me, which will then in turn expand you and help you push your edges. And it just keeps getting better and better. So we're primarily a solo cast. We're about 75% solo episodes, approximately 25% guest interviews, and we're not cookie cutter. So we are not fluffy. This is a no BS podcast. This isn't about me pretending to know more than everybody else. This is me being raw and real and not using those as buzzwords because they're popular, but really being raw and real with you, sharing my true transformation and my story as it unfolds, knowing that I might be 10 steps behind many people and I might be 100 steps ahead of you, or we might be walking hand in hand and knowing that it doesn't matter. But I have this microphone and I'm using this microphone because I followed a nudge from my inner knowing and from my creator at this time, two and a half years ago. And I had no idea what I was doing. I was very nervous, very uncomfortable and scared. I'd had a lot of success in business prior to this. And I had no idea how to have a podcast or what that even meant. But because of all of you, sharing this and texting it to friends and putting it on your stories and leaving us ratings and reviews, we reached that top 100 status that, by the way, I didn't even know was a thing. I wasn't shooting for that. So as we're looking at the new year here, think about that. I didn't have it as a goal. I had no idea that it existed. 
It wasn't something even on my radar or on my list. It wasn't a resolution as in a New Year's resolution, but for a business, it wasn't like something I was hoping to get to because I didn't know it was a thing. But what I did have was the intention. The intention was that this podcast would grow me and push me way out of my comfort zone because I know that's the only place we grow. And I also knew that my intention was that this would do the same for others and that by me sharing my journey and the, you know, warts and all, all of my mistakes and my wounds and the things that I really don't want to say out loud, but I know other women are struggling with or dancing with, I knew and my intention was that by me sharing those things, that I would inspire and empower, educate and probably even challenge and trigger and be a loving interruption and an invitation to millions of listeners all over the world. So that was my intention from day one. And because that was the intention, I really felt into that and believed that that what was, ha- was happening, that's what happened. So as we go into this new year and as we're into this new year, I'm so excited about the guest we have for today because that's what we're going to talk about. We're talking about true transformation, not the bullshit Instagram, Pinterest, what word am I choosing for the year so I can put it on Facebook kind of transformation. Not that I'm going to start on Monday or New Year's Day kind of transformation. Not the one where we're fooling ourselves because we know it really isn't going to happen, but we're just pretending. Not that kind of transformation. Also, not the kind of transformation that makes us not just feel uncomfortable, but gives us stress. There's such a difference between getting out of our comfort zone and then causing stress to our system. Very different. Some stress is good, but we're not talking about the kind of transformation which doesn't really create transformation. The pretend transformation that stresses us out and just causes us to freeze and do nothing and go back into our old patterns. We're talking about the kind of transformation that takes us feeling into the intention, feeling into what we say we want and figuring out what the hell is keeping us from actually having that and believing that we are worthy of that and keeping us from actually being that that vibration before it actually shows up in real form. So I could have had a lot of people on this podcast for this New Year's episode. And in fact, I have always done solo New Year's shows before my podcast when I had my business. And on this podcast, I had never had a guest before for New Year's, but I knew I wanted Beck Antonucci. I knew it as soon as I found her, as soon as I started following her, as soon as I listened to her podcast, I was like, she has got to be on the show and she's going to be what kicks off this new year. So let me tell you about Beck. Beck Antonucci is an emotional well-being coach for women. Beck supports women to break through ineffective self-worth and body image stories, break free from shame, and heal from past developmental and relational traumas to unlock their most authentic, expressed, confident, accepting, and fulfilled self. Now, let me just say something. Blah, 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 right? This is what everybody says they do. This is what every coach out there says they do. But you know what? You know that I won't bring anyone on this show who isn't really the real deal. Beck checks all those boxes that have to be checked for me to put a coach in front of you. She's done so much deep work on herself, like really, really, really uncomfortable work with the best coaches in the world. She's invested so much money in her own growth, so much time and effort into her own growth. And then she has coached so many people to success already. So just know that that paragraph is real and true. Through a range of different holistic and intuitive modalities, including trauma therapy, 
somatic experiencing, NLP, inner child work, nervous system regulation, body image healing, sexuality and sexual health, forgiveness practices, embodiment practices, and more. Beck supports women to learn to honor, accept, and own their vulnerabilities. When you work with Beck, if you choose to, you'll embark on a journey of deep inner transformation and come to a place of true self-acceptance. And when you hear Beck today on the show, and when you start following her on Instagram and listen to her podcast, you'll feel it. Remember in the past, we've talked about embodiment. There's something that you know, and then you know. There's something that people, they pretend and they act, and they're trying to act like they know something, or they, they've arrived at a certain place, but you can feel that something's off. And then when you feel someone who's embodied, so all of that is truly in their body, they have a different resonance. And that is Beck. Beck is a free thinker, embodied female thought leader, stigma fighter, public speaker, workshop mentor, host of the Raw, Real, and Vulnerable podcast, and founder of the online group program called True Transformation. She is my new friend. She's my Italian Aussie friend. She is so unbelievably honest. She is blunt, but she's not the kind of blunt where I'm trying to shock you. She is so just like straightforward, pure truth wrapped up in so much love. And I am in love with her. She's amazing. So here is Beck Antonucci. Happy 2023. There is nothing more inspiring than a woman being unapologetically herself. The answers are all in your heart. She's waiting. She's waiting. She's waiting for you to set her free. Welcome to BU Podcast. I'm Jill Herman, and I am so glad you're here. I was broke, insecure, and craved approval. But with grit, hustle, and sacrifice, I still built a successful multi-million dollar business. 10 years in, burnout, I slowed down and looked inward. In that silence, I discovered that the same level of success could have come to me with much less effort and so much more joy. That's when I threw out the expectations of the world and chose to unbecome every single thing I thought I was supposed to be. And the real me was uncaged. It was far from easy. And in this podcast, I'll offer my entire journey as a roadmap so that if you're ready, you can finally be you. So here I am with the spunky and amazing, brilliant and gifted and talented Beck Antonucci, the Italian, Irish, Australian. You know, I'm excited that you're here. The way we found each other is so funny, but it's so perfect. And I feel like this is how I live my life and it's how you live your life. Very much so. I'm very excited to be here with you. So, you know, we could chat for hours and have lots of laughs and I could learn from you for hours. You know, this is the first episode of 2023. And I told you when I reached out to you that that's a big deal for me to like, like release control of that because I love doing like the first episode of the year. And for years in my other business, I had this whole thing I would do. And I was walking around my house the other day. I was like, you know what? It needs to be back. Beck is the one who's going to kick off the new year for these people. And I'm so protective of these listeners. And I know that, no pressure, I know 
that it's going to be amazing because I've been watching you and listening to you for a couple of weeks now. And I'm so excited and impressed by you. You know that. So I'd asked you a little bit ago. So I'll ask you now again, what do you feel you're talking to women in, you know, lots of countries all over different cultures, different backgrounds, different demographics, looking at the new year, what is something that you feel they really deserve to spend the next like hour digging into? What's something that you're like, okay, we cannot avoid this. No new year, new you bullshit. This is something for you to really look at. Mm, I love that. And number one, I don't feel pressured and I feel incredibly honored. So thank you very much for having me. And I know what it's like to feel so protective and proud of our beautiful community. I know it's the beginning of the new year now, but by the time this launches, and I'm quite certain knowing who your listener is and listening to your podcast, who has tuned into you, they, there would have been some amount of reflection of the year that had been and what we were visioning for 2023. And I think a big part of what I desire to talk about today is those commitments that we've made to ourselves and the follow through that we're actually going to do or not. Like, I don't believe in you, you knew me. And it's really, I know that you even brought up the conversation around the self-saboteur. I hate to hear the woman that says she's going to do the thing and then doesn't actually follow through on it because it's our own self-trust that diminishes in that process. So whatever vision that we have for the year ahead, I'm really curious about why that vision is her vision what she's intending to do to make those dreams come alive and how she's going to follow through on her commitments so that she creates a life that she says that she really desires. So do you find that that it's most important first for them to figure that out and then talk about what could come in and sabotage it and where does that come from? Or do you first identify with people like the stuff that might come up? How do you do that when you work with people? What do you recommend? I think it's really beautiful that, that the fact that it is New Year and in Australia it's summertime, right? So I'm going to use this very simple analogy. Summer is going to be 40 degrees Celsius. Everyone's going to be in bikinis and a lot of people, a lot of women are going to say, I'm going to lose five kilos. And then that's the same thing that they've said year on year on year for five, 10, 15 years. And if we're saying the thing and that's the desire to do, but we're not actually following through with any action. And then the same year we're recommitting to the same thing. And then the action is not taken. Every single time that we say something, our internal dialogue is like, oh, yeah, there's Beck saying that she's going to do the thing. Like, this is her year. Her business is going to blow up. Her this, her that. And then she doesn't actually do anything about it. Of course, she's all talk, no no action. And so for me, it's about creating clarity around whatever it is that I'm saying that I want. Like, why do I really want it so that I or desire it? Uh, I don't really love the word want. Why do I desire to make that come alive in my reality so that I can anchor back to that and then actually have a reason to take aligned action. For example, I work with a lot of women and when it comes to, I really dislike weight loss, but it's such an easy thing for us to all associate with the woman in Australia who has hidden her two sons in her backyard every year and swam in the swimming pool because she's embarrassed to go to the beach. Mm. The five kilograms means nothing to her. She doesn't, five kilos means nothing, five pounds, whatever it is in America, that means nothing. But if her anchor was the vision of her building sandcastles on the beach with her sons next summer, that's the thing that she gets to anchor to and attach to to support her in making aligned decisions that will move the needle towards the life and the goals that she says that she most has for herself. Mm-hmm. What's that saying? It's a little cliche, but it's cliche for a reason. The whole, if the why is clear, mm-hmm. the how-to will appear, like the why has to pull you. You can't motivate yourself. The why has to tug at you. So I have a friend who for years, and I wouldn't say years, I would say her entire children's lives, no joke, 
She is beautiful. She is successful. She is a great mom. She has great personality. She's so fun to be around. She has one of those laughs that like you laugh at the laugh. Like her laugh is so fucking funny that it doesn't matter what the joke is. I have a friend like that. When yeah. I hear her laugh, I'm instantly full of joy and happiness. So clearly joy is important to her. And she's like a fountain of joy. And I didn't notice this, but she said it once and it just made me want to cry. And she has three boys. And she said, trying to joke, but it was very serious. She said, oh, I always arrange my schedule so that I always have something going on when it's time for the kids to go to the swimming pool. And I didn't get it at the time. And then I noticed she was never there. And a friend of mine said, Jill, she's never been to the pool with her boys because she's so afraid they're going to ask her to get into the water. Mm-hmm. And now her boys are married with kids. And I could imagine, you know, someone listening is who's been in that position says, I really wish I would have had the experience in the water with my kids rather than the experience of wearing loose clothes and pretending I had an appointment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I have a lot of clients as well who are really scared of being seen to dance in front of people out of fear of what people think of them. So they avoid any kind of experience, any in-person immersion, any dance event, any birthday party that could have them show up and be seen and witnessed in their fullest expression of dance and they rob themselves of that. And then these women will share with me behind closed doors over a Zoom screen, women all across the world, and they say, I desire to be expressed and to be fully seen, but the opportunities presented to them for them for that to occur, they run from it because of the fear of what other people might think if they were to be seen like that just like your girlfriend being seen in the swimming pool. Yeah, I can relate to that. So I will tell you that my entire life, I had this constant theme and pattern. And it started Mm -hmm. in in childhood, obviously, but I mean, I remember it in childhood. And then I would remember it at wedding receptions. And then I would notice it anywhere else. And that was that I would spend the entire time trying to get the guts and the nerve up to get on the dance floor. And then I would finally do it and it's almost the last song or it's the last song. That's like the theme of my life. And so I would, I'd finally get out there and I'm like, I'm so glad I did this. I want another song. They're like, that's the last song. And I'm like, shit. Right. But that <laughs> uncle yes. gives me one more. But it's so funny because that feeling, that experience of actually finally getting out there and experiencing it, I didn't have a coach. Like I didn't know. No one helped me anchor that in. Cause if I had, I'm just, thinking right now that I would have allowed that to get me out on the dance floor, maybe two songs earlier the next time, then maybe three, then maybe four. But I didn't. I'm telling you, Beck, I did this my entire childhood, young adulthood in college and my adult life until I don't even know, I don't know, maybe eight years ago or something like that. And I lived that way, which some people might think, oh, it's not a big deal. It's just dancing, but it is. It's the that freedom. Well, it's also where else does that show up in your life in different capacities? Like, yes, that was dancing, but what about a sexual expression? What about speaking your voice? What about saying no when you really mean no rather than saying yes out of fear of appeasing and appeasing your social group? Like that will show up in different capacities. So some people are like, oh, it's just dancing, but it's robbing you of a lot of, a lot of experiences. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I mean, that was everywhere. It, it was everywhere. And so how did you change? I have to think about how I changed. Well, for a while, I didn't change, but I used the crutch of drinking alcohol. 
So if I would drink alcohol, then I could get myself out there. And then I didn't give a shit. And I had so much fun. And I thought I looked better than I did anyway. And then I also realized at that time, I mean, no one cares anyway. No one's watching me. But then again, I then when I was, was sober and back in real life, next opportunity again, no way. No way I wouldn't do it. And so I would say it's just personal growth. You know, I can't hang in on one thing, but it got to the point where I just didn't care anymore. I I shouldn't say that. That's not true. I'm not fully to that point. I'm to the point now where it's not that I don't care at all. It's that I'm willing to get uncomfortable. I'm willing to get uncomfortable and I realize I care a little bit. And then then after a song, I don't give a shit anymore and I'm fine. But it's, you know, it's that part that kind of plays peekaboo and it's there, but it's not really driving the bus anymore. If you wanted to get super coachy about it, you would call that an edging process or building the somatic body that can. So you used to do it when there was only one song left. So there was no time to reinforce into your nervous system, into the cells you're being that you're safe to be seen dancing in your expression on the dance floor in front of all these people. And so it did take its time because the body, and we also teach the body remembers what the mind forgets, right? So every time you hear those songs, you see everyone dancing, your head starts to spiral of what will people think and what will they look like and what will they say? And maybe it triggers something from someone laughing at you when you were 10 years old. And that kept on happening on repeat, on repeat, on repeat until you started getting yourself out there and realizing how fun and freeing. I mean, I just got back from Europe and my, one of my favorite parts was going out dancing in nightclubs. I came home, my boyfriend was like, I can't believe I have a 34-year young girlfriend that just wants to go nightclub. I'm like, dancing is so freeing. I've got sweat coming out the end of my ponytail. And if we can get our body in in uncomfortable spaces enough and reinforce that we're safe to do that, then what happens in that process is the body can then anchor to that new feeling of like, whoa, dancing is freeing. I thought I would be filled with so much fear and judgment and be on the receiving end of criticism but I'm actually having all of these incredible experiences go on inside of me, but that now I want it more. And that's how we start to lean into doing that really challenging, uncomfortable thing. Mm-hmm. So what if you have a client who says, okay, I get understand now what you mean by the whole window of tolerance. Like I can, I'm going to expand it a teeny tiny bit, a teeny tiny bit, a teeny tiny bit over time. But I don't know that I can really get myself with the example of your client. I don't know that I can get myself to actually go to the beach and take my cover up off. And I'm certainly not wearing a two piece. Like how would you inch me towards that so I could at least feel the freedom enough to say, okay, next time I'm going to do this. And next time I'm going to do this. Mm. To begin with, if it was that client with her sons in the backyard, like to begin with, drive to the ocean and just sit there and watch it. And like watch a mother having a really great time with the children on the mm. beach. Next time, drive to the ocean with a coffee or your favorite drink and sit there. And watch another mother with her children having a really great time on the beach. Next time, drive there and get out of your car and go and put your feet in the water and just feel how nice it is to have your feet in the sand rather than on the pavement in your backyard and watch another mother with her sons having a beautiful time on the beach. And then maybe the dress or the really baggy T-shirt or whatever it is becomes a little bit less and a little bit less. And you start to realize that no one is actually watching and it's all our own stories and self-judgment that's rising. No one's looking at you thinking about your body on the beach. You're thinking about your own body on the beach. So it's really beautiful to be able to hear those thoughts and see what's coming up for you in that process and really look at them. Those Because I'm assuming that those limiting beliefs about your body are not only showing up in the domain of you going to the beach with your sons. 
They're probably impacting your weekends. They're probably impacting your intimacy. They're impacting your self-worth, your self-confidence, your ability to express. So the fact that this is here is actually really incredible. And if it takes putting you on a beach in bikinis to have all of that show up and rise to the surface so we can truly look at that, I think that's incredible. Mm-hmm. But to begin with, to actually get her to the beach, I would slowly get her there in a re- and reinforce pleasure every part of the way. Tell us what that means. Yeah. So if I was to go through a really, like I've just left my home of six years and I've gone through a really like painful process with it. So when I go through essentially a cord cutting process or anything that can feel like quite emotionally turbulent or challenging or like going to the beach, if I was scared to attend there afterwards, what I will reinforce back into my body is pleasure. So that when I'm shifting myself into a really challenging place, that I keep reminding in my nervous system that I'm okay, I'm safe, I'll sit down with a passion fruit and enjoy it really slowly. So I'm going through like a really painful, turbulent, almost traumatic experience and then reminding myself of why and making myself feel safe and pleasured in the process. Mm -hmm. So what about, um, I mean, we don't need to hang on this example forever, but it's such a good example. Mm. So what about the person who they get, they finally inch their way to the beach and they don't understand what's happening in their body. Like, I here I am. I finally got myself here. I'm doing the sandcastles. I'm so grateful. I'm connecting with my boys. But why do I feel like I can't breathe? Why is my chest tight? Why do I have these things happening in my body? Some people listening know exactly what I'm saying. But we have listeners who are like, they have no idea what that even means. I know this is one thing you're highly trained in. Mm, beautiful question. So, I think really in those moments, slowing down, becoming really aware of our external environment, like feel like even moving your toes around in the sand and like feeling and doing it nice and slowly and just like reinforcing that my feet are on the ground, seeing my sons there, maybe a light touch of the chest and like lightly running my fingers over my chest to be like, okay, what is this experience? What is this tightness? Maybe even speaking to it. And if you're, my sons are there and I don't want my, my sons to hear me speaking out loud, just internally like, what is this tightness trying to tell me? Why is it here? Am I safe? Can I take some deep breaths? Can I breathe into that space? Oh, it's, oh, I can feel there's a woman to my left and she's got a, a six pack and I don't look like that. And, oh, this is reminding me of that time that my, I had a client just before who someone walked in on her when she was eight years old and they told her she was disgusting. She, had, she was in her swimsuit. So it's really mm. funny. We're having this conversation right now oh, this is reminding me of that time that my uncle walked in and called me disgusting and, oh, and like bringing awareness to like, that's why this tightness is here. And it's like, okay, can I breathe into that? Am I safe in this experience? Am I safe to have that memory show up? Are my sons still here? Are they still having a beautiful time? Maybe witness their smiles and just really anchoring to our external surroundings to remind us of, remind us of the physical safety that we're actually in. And I'm really slowing down to tune into that tightness is here for a reason, hasn't just showed up. The, the body is speaking to us. And if we can really create a connection with, this is how I moved through disordered eating. I, I, I suffered with severe disordered eating for a really long time and me creating a relationship with my body and actually asking her like, why is this happening? Why are you speaking to me like this? What is it that you're trying to tell me? What am I not hearing right now? The more that I could actually tune into her and hear what she was saying, the more that I could repair with her and find my way through those uncomfortable feelings that were occurring for me. Mm, so beautiful. And I know you said a little bit ago that your body will remember what your mind is not, right? And so 
for someone who's never heard this before, they just stumbled across our podcast today, right? Do you mind just kind of doing the sort of kindergarten explanation of why is their body doing that at all? Like, is it because their body is remembering something that in that moment as they're doing sandcastles, their mind does not remember? Yeah, absolutely. So even in that example right there, like if the heart is breathing and you're feeling anxiousness in your chest, or you're feeling tightness over your chest and you're looking around and it could just be like, oh, I'm just not happy in my body and I didn't feel comfortable coming and I have no idea why it's bringing up this amount of anxiousness. I never really wanted to leave my backyard. And then we sit there and logically you're not sitting there every day thinking about that time your uncle walked in on you in your swimwear when you were eight years old and said a really mean word that's perhaps not in your awareness or you thought that it was minor or minuscule you're you've completely forgotten it entirely or believe that you've moved on and then you're sitting there on the beach and this pain is coming up in your body and that's when if we connect to it and really ask like it's here it's speaking to us we can't deny the sensations that are occurring in the body we can try and override them with our minds but the body's still going to continue to speak until we do that work And to be able to move into that and ask, like, why is this tightness here? And then for that to speak out loud, it's like, oh, the body has remembered entirely literally what I had forgotten, that it's still having a lasting imprint. So now I have an eight-year-old's consciousness dictating how I feel about my physical body right now. Mm -hmm. It's so fascinating, isn't it? I can give you another example. I know that we were talking about sexy dance class before, and I've just gone back. One part of the reason that I went back is just like I was saying when I was in Europe, I was having the best time dancing and sweat from the top. I've got really long hair, sweat from the top of my ponytail to the end, like not attractive. (laughs) I'm like having a gym workout, burning all the calories, had the best time, felt so free. And when I came back, my partner and I were having a little argument and he was like, dance, like let's shift the energy and dance. And I felt really stuck and like stuck in my body. And then we moved through that. And then there was another time where I was in the bathroom and I was dancing. I was brushing my teeth. As soon as he came in, my body seized up. And he was like, why did you stop dancing? He's like, can you not dance or something? I was like, I know I can dance, but I'm finding it really challenging to dance in front of my partner. And especially in a way that feels liberating and freeing for me. And I was like, what is this? Because I'm having a very different experience of back in Europe. And I'm not a big drinker. I'm like a two drink kind of person. So it's not like I'm getting wildly drunk and I have no inhibitions. I was just being back. And so I sat with it and I'm like, why am I not expressing myself in the way that I desire in front of my partner, especially when it comes to physical movement, in particularly dance. And I sat with it and I sat with my body and I asked like, what is this stuck energy? As soon as my partner walks in, I'm brushing my teeth, my whole body seizes up. And my body reminded me that in a past relationship, I had a partner that would make fun of my dancing and criticize my dancing and tell me that my dancing was embarrassing. So I can dance in front of anyone. As soon as my partner walks in, I can't do it anymore. Mm -hmm. And so that's a big part of the reason that I've gone back to dance class because I know I can actually do the thing. But the, the trauma of having such hurtful words being told to me by someone that I deeply loved and cared for has made a lasting impression in my physical body to the point that when my now partner walks in in front of me, it's not the same back moving. Mm-hmm. Or in, in other cases, like with me, for example, casually throwing myself in here for a very convenient example, I have 150,000 examples of me and trauma. But so for example, for me, it had nothing to do with dancing. Mm-hmm. Like it was about perfectionism and it was about not wanting to be seen. Because if I'm not perfect, I'm not good enough. And which means, of course, I'm unworthy of love and everything. 
God, that's a tragic story. <laughs> that was my whole life. And just being seen at all, like not just by like my partner, but anybody, like any sort of, like you said, I could dance on the street maybe in front of someone, but as soon as I'm really quote unquote seen, I would run for the hills. And for me, Beck, I did not even learn or hear of the word somatics, somatic, any form of the word soma, any of it until two and a half years ago. I was in personal development for years, all the mindset stuff and the Tony Robbins stuff. And I'm going to climb a telephone pole and jump off and do this and that and teaching mindset work just because I was a self-proclaimed teacher of mindset work. And I did talk therapy for seven consecutive years, sometimes twice a month, sometimes every week. And I had never heard of any of that. And it wasn't until two and a half years ago when I learned what you just explained and what I talk about all the time on this podcast about what our body is holding on to. When I released that stuff, which you know can be an ugly, painful process, it wasn't until then that I could be seen. And, and truly, I mean, I'm still getting there. But the freedom, I'll just say to our listener, what Beck is saying isn't just because this is what she teaches and this is what she coaches on and she believes it's true. I'm telling you, the best coaches have done this work themselves. And Beck said that she is, and we can talk about that, has done this work and turned herself inside and out. And so have I. The freedom that I experienced and the willingness to be seen just in the last year of my life is like being on that dance floor right before they say it's the lost song, what they don't say it. Mm-hmm. They never say it. And you just get to live there. And the song, another song comes on, another comes, song comes on. That's the way I get to live now. And I know that's how you live. And that's how you help your clients live. But most people will never experience that freedom ever. Yeah. And I, I mean, I don't think you do the work and it just goes away. It's really funny that it happened exactly for me last week. I, just like you, I could come up with 150,000 examples of how this did show up and continues to play out today. It just plays out with a newfound awareness of I'm not going to let that story run my life. Like last week, I did something in front of a whole group of my peers. Uh, like over 200 of them. And there was almost like this little fear of, oh, if I do this in front of everyone and, and I don't live up to my skill set my, my, and my high expectations of self and deliver the way that I know that I can, I'm going to be really upset with myself. So I shared that vulnerably after I did what I did. But that where that stemmed from was when I was eight years old, I was an incredible piano player. I used to win scholarships. I was absolutely just amazing at playing the piano. And the first time I decided to get on stage and, and perform without my music notes, it was a really big deal. It's what you do when you're maturing and you're performing. And so I got up in front of a whole room full of people and I forgot what I went to play. I had a complete mind blank. And I sat there and I couldn't remember and I got really scared and I felt like someone laughed at me in the audience mm-hmm. and I ran off stage crying. Mm-hmm. And so that, as and I know, I'm like, oh, so sweet for little Rebecca, But that has actually played out so many times in my life where I've gone to do something that I know I'm like, I can do this. I can deliver on it. I'm incredible. And the fear of getting up and doing it in front of people, especially my peers, I'm like, am I going to forget my music notes? Mm. And so that shows up all the time. But the the point is prior, I maybe would have resisted doing the thing because the belief was, yeah, I'm going to forget my music notes. But now it's like, okay, I can self-soothe little Rebecca in that process and I can show up and do it anyway. Like you can, you can act like every song is a last song and get up and dance anyway. And that's really the work. Mm-hmm. So how do you do that? Tell me how you would self-soothe little Re- Rebecca. Someone's listening and they're like, okay, so I have that moment. What do you mean by that? 
Yeah. So, for example, last week, as prior to being about to step in front of the audience and and do the thing, I would say to myself, like, I've got you. It's okay. Like, we're going to do this because we deserve to. And no matter what happens, I, I, I tell myself my two out of 10 is still incredible. And so it's totally fine. If it's not your 10 out of 10, we're going to do the absolute best that we can. I've got you. If anyone laughs, like I've come from a really big bullying journey, if anyone laughs at us or anyone was mean to us, like you don't have to defend yourself because I've got us now. Like adult Rebecca is here to be a stand for us no matter what. And if I got up in front of a whole audience of people and forgot what I had to say, I'd be really vulnerable and share like, this is really uncomfortable for me right now. And I'm feeling a lot of judgment and embarrassment. I've forgotten what I have to say. This is triggering something from the past. And can you all witness me in this? I really, my intention was to deliver something incredible for you. And I can't, I feel like I can't right now. And maybe you can just witness me in this because it feels a little bit shameful. And knowing the community of humans that I surround myself with, I'm sure I would have so much love poured into me that that would, might be the thing that cracks me open to feel safe, to be able to keep speaking. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So beautiful. So for me, I just feel like self-soothing and vulnerability is the, it's kind of go hand in hand. If something is a really challenging experience for you and you're feeling really vulnerable and tender in the moment to do whatever, whatever it is that you're intending to do, if you share with the people around you, it's actually hard for you. You can be met with a lot of compassion, empathy, understanding and resonance. And someone's like, well, I just really want to celebrate you in that and didn't look like you were uncomfortable. And is there any way I can support you to make this a more easeful experience for you? Completely agree with you. And I I have found that even people who aren't like the people that you surround yourself with, I think most people would respond positively to that. I think most people would respond. So I used to teach that in sales. Like you don't want to, you know, come across in a self-deprecating way and go, oh, I'm such a fuck up. I knew I couldn't sell this and da, da, da. (laughs) But saying like you just said, okay, so I'm just going to be really transparent. I have something I'm really excited about. You may not be excited about it, but I really want to share it with you because I care about you, but I'm not attached to whether or not you want it. But I get really nervous because I know that as I'm bringing this up, there's this whole story in my head that you're going to think I'm trying to sell you. And they're like, oh my God, no, 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 no. And that's not a sales trick, right? That's just vulnerability. And that's what people are, whether they buy or not, it's a win-win. Like you said, the two out of 10 is a win. Very, very similar example. So besides not having a connection to that feeling and that why, when someone like says they're going to do something in the new year, whatever it is, losing five kilos or even just joining a gym or whatever it is, quitting smoking, besides not really doing what you just described, will you then talk about the importance of understanding like what are these saboteurs that are going to come up? Because they are. And to try to just keep you from doing this? How do you like recognize that? What do you do about that? Yeah, well, it's really funny. I just released a beautiful framework online and it's normally for my one-on-one clients. I gave it to about 200 women in my audience. And so I've checked in on them, like, how did you go with it? And they're like, maybe there was about an 8% open rate and the 8% of them are experiencing incredible results because they're like, this is what I want. I'm applying myself to the work and I'm going to create my own positive effective change. The other 92% were like, oh, it sounded nice and I thought that I wanted it, but like doing the work to create change is actually a little bit of hard work. And we just get to A, not be scared of hard work and B, really know that we are conditioned to desire to survive first and foremost. 
And sometimes things that can be seen as hard, we can resist because the ego will then make it scary. Like if I'm desiring to move from, if we're using quitting smoking, quitting smoking, probably if you're de- that's your desire, maybe because you're going to feel healthier, maybe because your partner doesn't want to kiss you if you're a smoker. Maybe you're, you really care about your teeth hygiene. I have no idea why you're desiring to smoke, but I'm sure there's a lot of really great reasons attached to that. Now, as you go from a smoker to a non-smoker, what are all the limiting beliefs and all the thoughts that are going to come up in the process of that occurring? Like, oh my God, you've had a stressful day at work, grab the cigarettes. And so the, and I think we spoke about this at the very beginning before we hit record of doing the hard thing is often the easy thing in the long run because if someone's desiring to quit smoking, I'm assuming that there's a really great long-term strategy as to why it would be beneficial to your life. But to begin with, there's going, you're going to be met with so much resistance from your ego because right now the smoker feels safe in their smoking. And so when you're met with a no from your wounded self saying, don't lean in and do the thing that you most desire to do, you're going to have to sit there and look at why that's showing up for you. What Are you really being kept safe? Are you being kept safe as a smoker? Are you being kept safe in your back, backyard? What is it that you're fearing facing off with? Because there are some limiting beliefs there that are going to be coming up, rising up to the surface that are uncomfortable to look at. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've shared really vulnerably and really authentically online about some really taboo topics that now I talk about really openly with so much confidence. To begin with, in the lead up to doing that, I was met with so many no's by my wounded ego of so much danger that would be attached to me being seen so vulnerably and so honestly and so transparently in front of such a wide audience that I believed it for a really long time. And living in my pain and living in my shame and living silence and living suppressed was really, really hard. Speaking my truth so honestly about so many taboo topics was really, really hard. But the long run, the benefit of me actually committing and doing the hard thing profoundly impacted my life in all areas from relationships to my relationship with myself to my body to money to everything to my business so I really had to look at every time I was like oh, I'm going to speak my truth and then my saboteur said no, no no but what about this I had to look at that and really challenge that belief so I could keep taking forward steps so I could take that aligned action that I really most desired yeah so like back to the example of the client in the backyard so which is harder missing out every summer for the rest of your kids' lives on something you and your children really desire and missing out on that forever and not having that experience. Is that hard or is it hard to get uncomfortable, go in a muumuu and at least sit on the sand and enjoy it and then inch your way towards being in a bathing suit? And let's talk about this for a second because this could sound, what we just said could sound very mindset-y, you know, like choose your heart. And it's not what you said exactly, but I know that there's someone listening that might go, yeah, I've heard that before. Like, yeah, pick my heart. Well, I would like to, if you don't mind, go back to, again, this is so normal for us, but when you talk about like the wounded ego, like, what do you mean by that? Like when my wounded ego is trying to hook me and bring me back, what does that mean? Like, what Mm -hmm. is the wounded ego or how, what do you mean by that? I love that. Number one, you don't have to pick your heart if you're really, like we could call it mindset stuff. You don't have to pick your heart if you're totally satisfied with where you're at in your life. Like Amazing. But if you are desiring some amount of change, and especially for the people that come to me wanting really, really big change, well, it's not just going to be a hop, skip and a jump in a really easeful way. It is going to be challenging. And you're desiring that for a reason. So there is an element of like, 
you get to really pick your heart. And when we come to that wounded ego, I would call her my smaller self, my the the self that has been hurt, harmed, that has limiting beliefs, that has believed anything that anyone has told me that makes me bad, unworthy, unlovable, not willing, not worthy to be seen, not worthy to use my voice, not worthy to ask what I want, not worthy to speak my truth. That is my wounded ego. And when I think about my higher self, if I can't uh, think of her in the now moment, because I'm like, no, 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 this part of me that is a people pleaser, this part of me that always says yes, even if I really say no, me no, this part of me that puts everyone else's needs in front of my own, this part of me that never asks for what I, for what I want, I can't see behind, beyond her, I would think about myself five years from now and ask like, what is she like? What does she ask for? How does she show up in relationships? How does she dance on the dance floor? Where does, does she take her voice to the swimming pool or does she take her voice to the beach? Like, how is she? And that's my higher self and I think about her. And so when it comes to moving from where I am right now to that version of me five years from now, well, she's probably not speaking because she's not fully embodied yet. She doesn't feel safe enough to become through and be revealed. Mm -hmm. So there's going to be some level of expectation that that wounded smaller self, the one that believes all the limiting beliefs that are most likely created from zero to seven years old, those thoughts are going to pop up and try and prevent you from moving into that very expressed version of you because there's a part of us that believes that that fully expressed woman is dangerous. Mm. If I was fully seen in my truth and I actually didn't appease people and honoured myself, what might people say? Will I be accepted? Will society still love me? So, and it's about as these thoughts and fears come up, challenging them so that you can continue to take forward steps towards her because her in five years sounds really incredible. And she already exists because you can perceive her and you can feel her and you can think about what she shows up like. She just get you are now responsible for creating the safety for her to come through you. Mm-hmm. And I think it's important to also stress that something only feels safe because it's familiar to us. Like we think it's safe, but it's totally not safe, right? It's just what we're used to. It's just, it's what our body remembers. I would love for you to share a little bit more about you because you have such a powerful story and then how you decided to, and it would would be okay if you didn't, but how you decided to then turn that into this beautiful platform of yours and this community and message. It would have been okay if you just went on and lived your life, but I just love the fact that you are now helping so many people. When I heard just even a part of your story, I was just so in. When you talked about taboo topics, you know, the fact that you're willing to talk about that openly and then own it and take the shame out of it and then help so many people take the shame out of it for themselves. I mean, it's such a beautiful thing. Mm, Yeah, I love it. And I feel so privileged and so proud of it. And it was just kind of like this tap. I know Preston describes it as like the tap on the shoulder that you can't ignore. I thought that I could live my life and just like, as long as I support myself to break free from this thing, no one ever has to know it about me. And I just knew that that wasn't my mission in this lifetime. So my journey stemmed from being really severely bullied. I went to a prestige or girls school in Perth, Western Australia, and I was bullied to the point of attempted suicide. And I really believe that I was unworthy, unlovable, disgusting, that something was really bad, wrong, awful about me. And that if I was just good enough or different, other someone other than who I am, if I look different, if I sound different, then maybe I would have been accepted and the girls would have liked me. And so that really made a really lasting imprint on who I was as a person. And I was deeply fearful of women. And then I ended up leaving high school and I got a boyfriend and my first partner. We, I was so madly in love with him. I was sweet, innocent, thought that I would try and find safety. I didn't realize I was looking for safety. 
wasn't looking for love. I was looking for safety. And women I thought were dangerous. So I went and got a male partner. And after two and a half years, he punched me in the head with a closed fist and knocked me unconscious. So at this point, I'm 19 and I'm deeply fearful of women and men. And I have this belief that's being created inside of myself that I'm unworthy. If I was different, maybe people wouldn't hurt and harm me. So I have to become different to keep myself safe in this world. And I joined a gym thinking that if I made my physical body look strong, that people wouldn't ever try to bully me or hurt me ever again. And in that process, I lost a lot of weight fast. And I ended up looking like a little bikini model. And I was in this very busy gym. I received so much attention from people that looked really cool to me. Now, in a private or girls' school, popularity is the pinnacle of success. And now I've got all of these attractive people who know my name, who are kind to me, who are inviting me places, men asking me on dates. Facebook was new. I had all of these Facebook friends, women asking to be my friend. And I didn't. I know people will say external validation from a vanity metric, but it was so much deeper than that. Every time someone acknowledged me, affirmed me, affirmed my goodness or my beauty or asked me for something from me or a desire to be around me, I was like, yeah, I am safe and I do belong in this world. And I found the place where people really see me and want, like, I am good. And that started a 10 plus year journey of disordered eating. I had my breast implants done. I came back from overseas with a horror breast surgery and it was really turbulent. I'd gain 20 kilos, lose 20 kilos. My relationship with food was terrible. I would put myself into binge eating spirals that would last five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 days. The shame of actually binge eating for me was even greater than the herpes virus. But when I was 25, I left a partner and the man that I left him for promised me he was STI free and transmitted the herpes virus to me. And that was really my essentially spiritual awakening of stopping me from this traumatic, turbulent food experience and social acceptance experience I'd been on. And essentially God said to me, Nothing that you create external outside of yourself can bring you worthiness. And this has been a gift that I'm giving you right now for you to realize that your worthiness gets to be created from within and you get to accept all of you. And that sent me on a really long journey of trying to, to begin with, I just wanted to heal the herpes virus naturally. I was like, I bet I can be the person who finds a cure because I never wanted a, anyone to know it about me and be, I'm so pro-natural health. I'm like, I'm sure there's something in the Amazon that can heal me. And my healing was never really in finding the cure, but my my own personal healing was my complete full acceptance of it, giving myself a voice for it and being seen and witnessed in it. And that was really my reclamation process of knowing that I'm so worthy. No matter what I create external outside of myself, it's my internal that makes me feel worthy as a woman. Mm. I've heard the story, but thank you for sharing it again. It's such a beautiful, beautiful share. And would you mind going back to, you were in the gym, you're getting all the attention, you're finally getting what you thought you wanted your entire life. What actually caused the disordered eating? So as I was getting affirmed and having all of this, yes, yeah, so much attention and it really felt empowering because I'd never received it before. It felt liberating and exciting. And, you know, I, I can remember being on a treadmill and when I wanted to stop, I would tell myself like, no, because that ex-boyfriend who hit you, you need him to see you now and see how beautiful you are. And it was like every compliment that I received encouraged me to eat less. And so what started as a healthy amount of weight and me being really like, look, I had just been like, that's a beautiful fit woman started to go extreme because every compliment would be like, eat a little bit less, need a little bit less, need a little bit less. 
to the point that I would be weighing my steamed broccoli and my grilled chicken and I would count out my almonds. If I had one almond too much, then I'd put myself through this self-berating cycle. And that can only last so long. Yeah, because if you're trying to get the worthiness somewhere else, it's never enough. You can never lose enough weight or be fit enough or beautiful enough. You're never quite going to get it. Yeah, and complete restriction of food to the point that I was eating maybe, you know, 20 to 40 grams of chicken breast and weighing my broccoli at the same time or 20 to 40 grams of tuna plus one, two, three, four and a half hours of exercise a day because I felt like the more that I did and the less that I ate, the better my body would look, the more people would accept me, the safer I would be. And that lasted for so long until I, I know this is a common saying when it comes to food, fell off the wagon. And as soon as I started to eat and I hadn't given myself permission to eat these foods before, nothing tasted good. And the compulsion to continue just came, like hit me like a ton of bricks. And these binge eating cycles started small and I ended up just expanding and expanding and expanding, expanding. It started just being like, I'm just going to do it once a month, just on a Sunday. And then it became once every Sunday. And then it was a whole day on a Sunday to begin with. It was 5 p.m. from Sunday. Then it was the morning. Then it was the weekend. Then it was from Friday. Then it would start to impact my week. And then it just became really long period times of overly consuming food that I felt like I had no control over. And as I would eat and compulsively eat all the things that I originally was trying to run from, the girls who didn't accept me, the partner that assaulted me, all the fears of that person. Like I used to say, I can't be, they used to scream at me at school, you're disgusting in your rank. And mm. as I was exercising, I'd tell myself, you can't be that, you can't be that, you can't be that. I didn't realize that that was the trauma and that avoiding it was only going to further create more pain. So as I was compulsively eating, I would be like, I'm exactly what they used to say. Mm-hmm. Like this, I've been trying to not be this and I'm exactly that. And so my work has really been going to the root of the seed of the trauma and going back to those limiting beliefs, like really believing that I'm a disgusting, rank, unworthy woman and doing the work to really love 14-year young Rebecca who believed that to be true and tried her entire life to not be. The part of the girl that did think, like, why am I so unworthy to be hit in the head? That's so deeply shameful. Like going back and healing her versus trying to run away from her. Mm-hmm. God, that's so good. It's so much pain that you transmuted, but but hearing it, you have to understand hearing it it's so good hearing it because all I keep thinking to myself is that is all of us. That's every woman listening just in varying degrees with different details, different stories, but it's the same. It's the same thing. There's pain planted. We try to run from it. We try to outsource. We do all this stuff. And some of us wake up to it and some of us don't. And obviously when you wake up, that's when the work begins and it's not fun. But as you said, choose your heart. It's a lot harder to live in pain than to work with someone and get the stuff out of you. Mm. I mean, everyone always at the end of a podcast, I'll be like, what's your number one thing that you tell? I always say the avoidance of emotional pain will only further manifest more of it in your life. Like I had no awareness that I was running from those thoughts. No awareness. I didn't know what the subconscious mind was. I didn't know what limiting beliefs were. And I really, society has told us a lie. I was told that if I had a beautiful body, I would feel happy. And so I would work and work and work and work and work. And I'm such a hard worker and there's a part of me that loves that about me and I would get the thing and the day would come and I would expect a feeling to land, doves to fall out of the sky, happiness to be filled throughout my body, joy and like just like, yes, I did it. And the day would come and the feeling wouldn't come and I'd be like, what next? Yeah. 
And if it's not that, then it's if I get married, then I'll be happy. If I'm out of debt, I'll be happy. If I'm wealthy, I'll be happy or I'll be enough. I'll be enough. And every person listening can relate to it. They just may not realize that you're telling their same story. You know, you don't have to have disordered eating and all these other details to have that story. It's I, you are sharing all of our stories. And that's why I just was saying to someone recently, I'm so, especially coming off the weekend I just came off of, you know what I just did this weekend where I was doing a lot of deep work with my former coach, with all my kids and my husband. And I finished our breathwork session and I was like, oh my God, like I could not be more passionate about this this work. I will never stop talking about it ever because so many people, obviously it's their journey, their path, whether they choose to wake up or not and they choose to quote unquote be saved or not or save themselves. But I will always share it. I will always interview people like you. I will always talk about it because you can go to talk therapy. You can have all of the podcasts and books and programs in the world, right? But if you think it's all about just changing the way you think about things, working harder, getting over your past, being positive, or going to church. If you think that it's about that, you are in such a cage and you have no idea what life really could be about. And I think, I don't know if you agree, but at least where I live in the United States, it's really just that not enough people know that. How did I, Beck, go all of these years? And I'm someone who really was growing and trying. I wasn't like sound asleep walking around like a zombie. I was like signing up for stuff and going to Landmark and this and that. How is it that I did not even understand? And I get it's my journey. I'm not upset about it. But how is it that we, so many of us don't even know? One, we don't even know what trauma means. Two, we don't even know that it lives in our body. Three, we don't even know what that means. We don't know how to get it out. We don't know why we should. We don't know what the outcome is if we do. And we don't know who the hell can help us. That's like 99.9% of people. Yeah. I mean, I have a bone to pick with the school, <laughs> with, with our education, but we won't go there. And for me, it's just finding mentors that embody my values and live the kind of life that I desire to live. Because, you know, that's how you and I have connected. That's how we meet like-minded people. That's how we start to have these conversations and that's how we start to share, hey, I think this is something that's really worked for me. This is a person that I worked with that was really incredible that supported me to move through this. Like I said, we've been sold a lie. We've been told vulnerability is bad or shameful or makes us weak. We've been told to present as beautiful people where we keep things behind closed doors. Everything is changing now, but it's it's looking at what our parents are told and what their parents told them and really asking where a lot of these beliefs came from to to get to these ages and wonder, why have I never looked at this? How did I not know to look at this? Wasn't this glaringly obvious? But no, I've never met a human who doesn't make perfect sense. So if your parents told you, keep everything behind closed doors, when you're feeling vulnerable, well, then you probably wouldn't share it with with your closest friends and family because you'd be told to keep that behind closed doors, sweep it behind the rug. We don't talk about money. We don't talk about sex. We don't talk about STIs. How dare you say that on the internet? Like if we listen to our grandparents, I don't think a lot of us would say a lot of the things that we said. And our parents are just repeating what they were taught until some of us decide to be generational change makers and really look at what was I taught and does it even serve me? How do I not even know what's going on in my body right now? How do I not understand that? Yeah, besides sex and money, we also don't talk about how we feel. 
Yeah. It's not safe to talk about how we feel. Like even in in families with your own brothers and sisters and your parents, you can live an entire life and never have a real vulnerable conversation with anyone in your home. And then we wonder why we are the way we are. And speaking of school, yeah, me too. I could go on and on and on. (gasps) But can you imagine back like, what if at school, besides the obvious, like teaching them what real food is and things like that, can you imagine like you're in high school, really middle school probably, but let's just say you're in high school, you're freshman in high school. So for us, where I live, it would be like 15 years old, the first year of high school. Can you imagine learning about attachment styles? Can you imagine how different your life would have been? Just that one thing. These are the attachment styles. This is how it happens. This is how you can identify which one you are. It's such an obvious thing for me to say, but I'm saying it because I I don't even believe it as I'm speaking it, that that I didn't even know what that term was. And I was in talk therapy with someone with two PhDs, two PhDs, highly respected therapists, not just some, you know, guy in a shopping mall. Like I went to a really good guy and also kind person. And to me, he checked all the boxes and I never heard the word trauma, never heard the word semantic. And I never, ever, ever heard the term attachment styles. And when I learned that in the coaching program that, you know, I went through, I was like, holy shit, that's like the mother load. (laughs) You know, it's so funny that you say that because I have so many women that come to me and they're like, Beck, I desire to break, break through anxious attachment style. And there's so much shame there for them that they experience this anxiety around dating and relationships. And I do think, imagine if we were taught about that as 16-year-olds, 16-year young women, how that might have changed our life. And just, normal, again, normalizing a conversation. Women come to me and they think that it's deeply shameful and they're the only one. And like it's something to be embarrassed of, not realizing that it's actually not our responsibility, not our fault how our attachment styles were formed, but it's now our responsibility if they're not serving us to do something about it. That's good because then if we don't, it's 100% going to affect the attachment style of our future children if we have children and their children's children's children, for sure. Fulfillment of all your relationships going forward. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Fulfillment of all of them. Having a partner, I have two clients at the moment who'd, who'd met incredible people and they were like, yes, I've broken through an anxious attachment style. And then these two people that they're dating they divinely have started showing up in ways that have really triggered them. They're like, Oh my God, I'm like, it still exists. If people just behave with you the exact way that you desire to, to not trigger that wound, then we haven't moved through it. They're just behaving in a way that really, really appeases you for a period of time. So it's important that we work on it because your life, you're going to have these reflections show up time and time and time again in your life until you decide to really look at it. Mm-hmm. So I know that I said this to you, but I'm going to say again, if someone happens to be listening for the first time, Loyalty is super important to me. I'm Scorpio through and through. I am also, I'm very, it's connected to loyalty, but I'm very protective of people, not in a condescending way. Someone listening is a sovereign being who probably knows a lot more than I do about a lot of things. But but anyone listening, I am very, I really, really, really am my word and I, I embody integrity when it comes to what I bring to the show. I don't just ask anybody, hey, you want to, I don't, I I could just do solo episode after solo episode because I love talking and I have a lot I would enjoy talking about. I know that you are one of the few people who I, I do recommend as a coach because 
one of your training, I know what your training is, and that's very important. But two, because you have done this work, you have turned yourself inside out. I know who you've worked with. I know the kind of work you've done. And so I've taught this on the show. I've said how to look for a coach, how to spot a bad coach. You know, it's got to be someone whose life is working, in my opinion. Their life is not perfect, but it's working. It's not falling apart. Two, they've done this work themselves and they continue to have coaches and do work. They invest money in their own growth and healing. They are trained in a way that they truly do understand and they're, you know, the trauma informed and they understand what that means, how to really hold space, et cetera. And so I know that you have a program coming up that you did not ask me to plug. I am plugging it because I don't do this. I thought maybe I would, and maybe I will in the future, but I don't have a program. And I people need to know what is what is here for the new year for them. We're just a day into the new year of 2023. And I know that in your program, you are teaching this stuff. You're not just teaching, but you're teaching like attachment styles. Will you just tell them a little bit about why is this not just another program? And also why it's important to not be in the 92% who don't open it. <laughs> Will you mind just talking for a minute about the program so they don't just click it on a slide and see? Like, what would you say about it? Well, some of the 92% will attend because they'll realize that anyone that's done anything really great has done it with support, has done it with support, has done it with a coach, has done it with the mentor, has done it with someone to hold them accountable. When there's a desire to do something and you don't follow through and do the work, there's someone there to say like, hey, and call you forward. And hold that loving space and support you to shift and move through whatever limiting beliefs are blocking you from really taking that aligned action. True transformation is 10 weeks. It's some of my favorite work. The reason it's so amazing is because for the past 10 years, I've turned myself inside out. And what I love the most about my skill set is I never acquired it to receive any type kind of remuneration for it. I always desired to be an entrepreneur. But I thought that I was going to be a fitness model that had an activewear. So I actually, past life, I had an e-commerce store. I had a factory in China. I had all the things. So I was learning for my own personal and professional development and to support myself to break through from my deepest shames and my deepest pains. And that was the reason that I lent into the work. And through through my 10-year journey and through everything that I learned and embodied, I started witnessing all of these people show up on the internet that were doing really great things and I would maybe from a place of ego I was like I'm better <laughs> like well how are people signing up for these people well I, I know I know what I know and I'm just like, I also know what I don't know and I know there's a lot more that I don't know but I was just witnessing all of these people in the industry and I thought to myself Beck you're brilliant and I kept hitting this resistance with my e-commerce store and people started asking me if I would coach them and it just became the path of least resistance and from the moment that I fully committed and chose myself, within three months, I closed down my activewear. Within three months, I started my coaching business. From the day that I started my coaching business, it blew up and has been on the rise ever since. And the transformations that I've been experiencing worldwide and witnessing women in is incredible. And I've got to use all the resources and tools. Basically, for me, it's like putting into 10 weeks what I searched the entire world for. And I've worked with incredible mentors. And I've also worked with really shit ones. And I've invested a lot of money into incredible mentors. I've invested a lot of money into really shit ones too. Oh my God, I do. We have to share stories later. Let's pause there for a minute though, because I want to say something. That made me think of something. That is so valuable because you, quote unquote, wasted, it really was never wasted, but I'm just saying you wasted your money, not theirs. Mm -hmm. Like someone, when they buy this 10-week course, I mean, they are essentially buying 10 years of transformation 
And then you take it and you just pull out the best parts. You give them the cliff notes. You give them all the tools and the secrets. And they didn't have to, I mean, they're going to have to do work, right? But but it's just so powerful. Yeah, I bring on incredible guest mentors who have impacted my life. But I, like I said, I've traveled the world. I've paid for flights, paid for accommodation, paid for courses to meet all of these humans. So for someone who comes into my world, maybe they've never even invested in personal development before. They don't know what it is and they have tried They've gotten the fake boobs. They've worked for the perfect body. They've had the Instagram account. They've had the wealthy partner. They got the nice car. They've had a great job. They've got all the things and nothing has brought them the feeling that they're yearning for. And they know that it had like there's got to be something different, maybe something a little bit more holistic that they haven't tried yet. And it feels weird and maybe a bit like woo-woo-ish and I don't really understand it, but I'm seeing it work for other people now and I'm curious about what that is. And so that's what true transformation is. It's basically you're not traveling for 10 years. You're not investing in great and terrible mentors. You you being given the resources that have impacted me the most and impacted my clients the most. You know, but I would never, based on results, like we receive a tool, we embody the tool, we practice it. Some of my best friends' favorite tools are ones that have never landed for me. Ones I'm like, oh, it just didn't resonate. I'm not saying it's bad or wrong. It just didn't resonate for me. So the women that really aligned with and attracted to my voice, my potency, my power, my magnetism, the kind of life that I've created and all the things that I've broken through, they're really attracted to my work and I provide them with the best resources to support them to be resourced themselves, not just for the 10 weeks, but ongoing for the next 10 years of your life. When something occurs, what can I reach for? What can I go to to support myself to navigate my way through this? in a really powerful way. Yeah. And the course that you are talking about right now, what I like is that it's not somebody having to, you and I are fine doing this, but a lot of people aren't. It's not requiring somebody to say, okay, I've had a 15 minute discovery call with you. Here's 50 grand. Like you and I have done that. But most people are not willing or they're not in a place where they can. It's too scary for them, whatever. But I, that's one thing that makes me very excited about a course like this at the new year. It's like, look, here's here's a taste of it. And it's going to be a, a nice helping of it. And you get to work with this. And this alone will change your life. And then you can decide after that if you ever want to do more. Exactly. My client has never, the majority of my clients, this is about 50% of them have never invested in personal development before. So to get on a 15-minute sales call and be, to have a mentor turn and say, it's going to be $50,000 for you to explore this, it wouldn't be possible for a lot of them. This work is so rewarding for me and the beautiful women that I bring in, the support coach that comes along for the journey as well, it's just I, I can't even actually put into words because I know you know every true transformation is its own unique organ, organism. The women attract each other, the kind of coaches that come in. It's beautiful. And afterwards, the it's what they say about it that feels most rewarding that I can't put into words prior. Yeah, I believe that. I know that's true. I'm excited about it. Well, thank you for being here with all of us. And um, is there any place besides Instagram that you'd like people to find you? Instagram is probably the quickest way to access me. So we'll obviously have a link, but tell them because they're going to look you up. B-E-K for Beck. B-E-K-A-N-T-O-N-U-C-C-I. Sometimes I get shadow banned, so you have to put in the full thing, but I'm there. If you can't find me, just type the entire thing because I'm definitely there. Mm. In the abyss of being told off by Instagram somewhere. 
you know that's another reason I love you. I know. When you first sent me those videos, I was like, who is this woman? And then I went to your page and went to your story. I'm like, I love her. <laughs> I couldn't decide. Um, we had election day in the United States and I was trying to decide, am I going to wear my fuck the government? I was literally laying things out in the bathroom. My husband was dying. I'm like, I'm going to walk into the place to vote. Everyone's going to see me. And then I was going to go to a, an event that night where some family members, we were going to watch the, the results come in. Okay. So do I wear my fuck the government sweatshirt that my daughter got me? Do I wear my I will not comply sweatshirt? Or do I wear my Wuhan Institute of Virology shirt? And I couldn't decide. But then I also had my hat that was clean up on aisle 46. <laughs> Oh my and I God. couldn't decide. And so I like literally had a little fashion show and I, I went with my Wuhan Institute of Virology. I love that that's my pre-qualifying uh, <laughs> process. But if I like this person that's just sent me videos or not, I'm going to go to Instagram. So I'm like, <laughs> oh, yes. We're going to get along just fine. That's right. And neither one of us needs people to agree with us. And we, unlike some people, are totally fine with people believing the complete opposite. We just support the fact that we all have that sovereign choice. Mm -hmm. Amen, sister. Amen. Well, thanks again. Happy New Year. Thank you so much. And here's to the best year for you too, for your life, for you personally, for your career. I'm wishing that for you. Thank you so much, Jill. I'm wishing that I get to give you a big cuddle in America when I get there. 